Grace, mercy, and peace are yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to read to you again our second lesson for today from 2 Peter. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the earth elements will melt in the heat. And in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him, my brothers and sisters. When your sister blew up at you, you forgave that pretty quickly. When your wife forgot to pick up your prescription when she was out and about, you forgave that pretty easily. When your buddy stepped away from the game to go use the bathroom and during his absence the other team won, you forgave him of that as well. But you know what the sin that people commit against us the most often that we have the most trouble forgiving is when they waste our time. We live in a society that prioritizes, that rewards how much you can get done. And so what are the top tier virtues that you can have in our culture if you are a good multitasker? if you can fit a lot of stuff into your schedule. The best thing you can be in our culture is productive. And so we are rewarded if from morning, from dawn to dusk, we have activity and activity piled on activity to do, which means if something along the line takes longer than we expect it to, that is a mortal sin if someone wastes our time, deserving the fires of hell. When I'm sitting at my, in the lobby at my doctor's office and she's making me wait longer than I have time to wait for my appointment to start, I'm not only starting to get anxious, I'm starting to get angry. How dare she? Who is she to take up this time in my schedule? Without reflecting, maybe it's my fault for overloading my day so much that even a couple minutes makes that big of a difference. A driver cuts in front of you and slows down for no explicable reason. And your temper goes from 1 to 10. Why? Because now you're going to be a couple minutes later to wherever you're going. And that is just unconscionable when you probably should be focusing on getting there safely instead of just focusing on getting there quickly. Now, we cannot stand it when people waste 
our time, or when we think that they're wasting our time, when we think that people are acting or reacting slower than we believe they should be acting? Is it possible that we take this urgency, this constantly living on the, on the edge of our seat, this overburdening our schedules into our relationship with God? You bet it's possible. That was the attitude problem that Peter was writing to correct in his second epistle to the church. There were people who were assuming that God was not going to deliver on the promises he had spoken to them in Scripture. And why did they assume that? Why did they doubt? Because they were waiting in their minds too long. Peter has to just say it. He has to just say, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Why did he have to say that? It's because there are people who do believe that God is slow in keeping his promises. The problem with that is slow is a relative term. Is a bullet train slow? You might not say it is because it travels at 200 miles per hour or more, but compared to a lightning bolt, which travels a thousand times that fast, it is slow. Is a millisecond slow? Compared to a nanosecond, it is. So if you call someone slow, that means you're comparing someone to a different standard. If you call God slow, if you say God is sure taking his time, he's not delivering on his promises to take care of me, to provide for me, to set me free from this temptation, this suffering, this situation. If you call God slow, you're comparing him to something. Whether or not you realize it, you're saying that God's timeline doesn't measure up and that your timeline would be better. If only God would act as fast as you would act if you were God. That's what we're saying. Can you imagine the disrespect to criticize the way God works, the way God sets his timeline up? So Peter is right to correct our thinking. God is not slow. But of course, that's not all that he says. If you went to a therapist and you sat down with your therapist and you said, I'm depressed, and your therapist replied by saying, don't be, you might want to switch therapists. That is not good therapy technique. Now, a good therapist will guide you to see the root of the problem and will guide you to see its solution. If we are stuck in this critical, sinful, selfish mindset that God is slow, Peter needs to correct us. He needs to guide us to see where the misunderstanding is coming from. we got to understand that God's relationship with time is not the same as our relationship with time. A lot of philosophers describe our relationship with time like standing in a river. It's like you're in the middle of this river and the water is rushing at you. And the water up in front of you is the future. The water behind you is the past. And how much time does it take for the future to become the past? Not very much at all. We are standing, we live our lives at the boundary, at the border between future and past. And present moments are passing by you as fast as they come. 
we uh, can do nothing to stop the movement of time, and that affects the way we view things. So the present becomes all that is important. We become like a kid whose mom is taking him to McDonald's. He wants McDonald's so bad he's in tears. He is crying. He's in pain because he wants McDonald's so bad. The mom turns around in the van and says, well, you're in luck, buddy, because we're on our way to McDonald's. Hang in there for just a couple minutes. And what does the kid say? He keeps crying. He shouts all the louder, I don't want McDonald's in a couple minutes. I want McDonald's now. Our perspective is now, now, now. Why am I suffering through what I'm suffering now? Why am I tempted with these temptations now? Why is this happening to me right now? And God speaks future promises to us. But if we get so wrapped up in the sinful urgency of the now, we will treat God's future promises as if they're not going to happen. That we want God's deliverance right now. Now, but here we have to make a distinction. Is it wrong to wait for God, to cry out to God, to ask for God to deliver you? Of course it's not. The Apostle John in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 6, he sees a vision. The souls of the martyred Christians, those who have been murdered for their faith, for their confession of faith in Jesus, John's vision, he hears a cry out to God. They say, how long, sovereign Lord, until you avenge our blood? In other words, how long are we going to have to wait, God, until you administer justice on the earth? There's nothing wrong with wanting God to deliver us, with wanting God to save us. The problem happens when we start to criticize God for not acting the way we want him to, not acting as quickly as we want him to. Because God is not standing in the river. God is not standing there with future quickly becoming past beyond his control. No, God is hovering above. He sees it all. He sees everything that has ever happened as if it's happening right now. He sees everything that is going to happen as if it's happening right now. God is not under time's control. Time is under God's control. And because God is so powerful and so big and so smart and so important that he sits outside of time, he can carefully craft events to fit his overall purpose. So what did God do for us slaves to time, for us human beings who are bound by time, who are at time's mercy, at the mercy of the clock? He spoke. He spoke into our time-bound world. He gave the Old Testament believers future promises to trust in, to expect, to believe in. So that they knew what to look for, so that they knew what was coming. And then he came. God entered our human story. He entered the timeline. He subjected himself to nine months in the womb of a virgin. He subjected himself to 33 years of growing and socializing and serving people and talking with people and being betrayed by people and being mistreated by people. He subjected himself, the timeless God, to hours upon hours on a cross, having the life sucked out of him 
bled out of him. He subjected himself to a weekend in a grave so that he could rise from the grave and declare victory over time by declaring your forgiveness and your freedom from death's clock to declare that you will spend eternity with him in paradise. Peter describes Jesus' return like a terrifying day. The, the world will be laid bare. It will be destroyed. That day is coming as certainly as it is final. But for you, dear Christian, despite all the doubts you've had about God, despite all the misunderstandings you've had of God's will and his ways, those are forgiven. You are cleansed and holy and blameless for the coming of Christ. So that day is a joyous day for you and me. But what are we supposed to do until then? What are we supposed to do with our suffering, with our pain, with our temptation? Well, now you understand, as you see God's greater plan, the past of Jesus coming, the future of his return, you see that your pain that you are experiencing right now is not proof that God has left us, is not proof that God's word and his promises are not capable of being trusted. No, they're proving God right. No, the pain and the sin that you are suffering right now is proof of what God says about this world. We can't live here forever. This can't be our forever, forever home. There are too many problems. There's too much violence. There's too much sin. There's too much death. There's too much conflict. This world has to be laid bare. That's the only way these things can go. But you're saved from that judgment. You're saved from that fire by the blood of Christ. You will join him in eternal heavenly glory. So what now? You're probably familiar with the 1972 experiment on delayed gratification. When researchers led four-year-olds into a room, and one by one they sat the four-year-old at the table and they put a marshmallow on the table. You remember this? And they said to the four-year-old, if you hold out, I'm going to come back. And if you don't eat that marshmallow, I'm going to give you another marshmallow when I get back. All you have to do is sit here and resist the temptation to eat that marshmallow, and your reward will be another one. And two marshmallows is always better than one. But what happened? Almost every single one of the participants ate the marshmallow. The waiting became too much. They had a really hard time withholding their desire to just reach out and grab that pillow of sugar. Is that us? Did God sit us at a table and say, I'm going to come back. I'm going to set you free from sin and death and the power of the devil. I'm going to bring you into eternal glory with me in heaven. All you have to do is sit there and wait. No, that's not us. It is not God's will that we go hole ourselves up in some room somewhere, lock the door, and wait until his return. No, what does Peter say? Peter says we should be very busy right now. Why? Because God is busy. 
with all the pain and suffering and temptation in this world right now, if you have ever wondered why is God allowing this world to continue as bad as things are getting, Peter gives us an answer. Peter says it's because God wants people to come to repentance. God is allowing this world to continue spinning with as much pain and darkness as there is here because there are souls God wants to save. People are born every day who are going to need to hear the gospel. People are nearing their death every day who have not yet heard the gospel. And God wants everyone to come to believe in him. Now, some people are not going to. Some people are going to get in their own way. They're going to reject the gospel. Though That doesn't mean God doesn't want to try. So what does God give us? He gives us his means of grace. He gives us his word so that we can come to know him, so that we can learn more about him, who he is, so that we can trust in him better. He gives us the sacraments. At your baptism, he roped you into his family. He, he made you one with him, with a right relationship through Jesus Christ. At communion, God strengthens that relationship every time you receive Christ's body and blood. What should we be busy doing, brothers and sisters? Making use of the tools God has given us to draw closer to him. We should urgently make use of every opportunity to come nearer and nearer to God. And we should lead holy and blameless lives, Peter says. That doesn't mean, like we said, locking ourselves in a room and avoiding all contact with sinful people, but to be holy the same way that God is holy, that means being involved with people's lives. How did God show you his holiness? He got involved with your life. He entered your story through the gospel. That's what God wants us to do with others. God wants us to forgive. He wants us to share who he is with others because God wants others to come to know that same thing you came to know. God was patient with you. He didn't wrap things up and send Jesus to come back and, and judge the world before you could come to faith. God is waiting on others to come to faith as well. And so, brothers and sisters, we will live in a rush. We will live in a hurry, but about the right things. There is no time to hold on to grudges, to hold on to hatred. There is no time to withhold forgiveness, but we, now we are in a rush to forgive as God forgave us. Neither is there time to let a brother or a sister continue on in unrepentant sin. There's no time to let them do that. We will point out their sin to them so we can draw them back to Christ. There's no time to let our relationship with God go by the wayside and neglect the means of grace he's given to us. There's just no time. We, we're too urgent. We're too, in too much of a hurry because Jesus is coming back. That's for sure. But maybe you can notice a bit of a paradox. Our rush, our hurry, our urgency makes us patient, makes us able to wait. Because you understand why God is allowing this world to continue, that can make us patient with the signs of sin we see every day. Because we are in a rush about the right things, that gives us patience with everything else. Because you know that your purpose in life, that God is allowing you to live, 
is to reach other lives, is to draw closer to him, is to serve other people, then if those people betray you and sin against you, you have the means to deal with that. Your job is to make the most of every opportunity to love and to serve and to show God's character through your lives. Brothers and sisters, there's just no time to do anything else. We are in a rush to make use of God's gifts to us. We are in a rush to live God's love and his truth for others. So we're willing to wait through the suffering, through the hard times, through the pain, because we know that in the end it will be worth it. And it will be worth it to see the other people whom God has touched, the lives of whom God has touched through us, to join us on that day, entering Jesus' eternal glory. So the life of the Christian, the life of you, the life, my life as well, is really one of hurrying up and waiting. Amen.